<laughs> Welcome to another. This is an advertisement for Patreon.com/slash/ConsensusUnreality yeah, yeah. um, for bonus episodes, extra written content. Uh, we just took a kind of personal break for some life stuff, but we did some episodes over there. So if you missed us, yeah, um, we got some good ones over there. Five dollars a month. Check out Patreon.com/slash/ConsensusUnreality. Um, our last episode, we talked about metaverse madness uh ready player one uh the saturn Ugh. time cube conspiracy and why ben believes we're living in a simulation i don't i don't <laughs> believe that i how how dare you no i i you that's what you think uh, <laughs> patreon.com slash yeah. consensus on reality uh patreon.com slash consensus on reality thanks for listening Join or die <laughs> oh my god right? yeah that's what the poster says folks uh Enjoy this episode. Broadcasting live from the hour of our time, this is Ben and Jerry's from Consensus Unreality Studio Headquarters. It's what? Ben (laughs) and Jerry's? What now? Um, Yeah. Yeah. Consensus on Reality episode triple X. The Black Pill episode. Be, the Doom Scroll. Huh. The Doomsday uh, Clock it's... is at the hour midnight. I wish I could do like a sick Bill Cooper style introduction. He was fucking he just, crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. Well, I mean, like, he was just so good at, you know, his his style of, like, orating, you know? Yeah, he was like a radio guy. Yeah. Um, Well, kind of. I mean, he was like an amateur radio guy. He got his oats at, like, doing... uh... Okay, so the cat's out of the bag. We're talking a little bit about uh, the, the godfather of the... Basically, the godfather of the modern or I should say the contemporary um, American conspiracy theory timeline slash narrative, I think uh, really kind of hit the filter with um, William Cooper. And we we kind of have been existing in a post-William Cooper uh, conspiracy theory narrative um, since about 1990 when Behold, a Pale Horse... Uh, came yeah. out the Fina. <laughs> uh, apparently, one of the most popular books in United States prisons, which is really interesting. I think. Yeah. Who uh, told us that? that? Did Adam Go Rightly mention that? Yeah, Adam Go Rightly was talking about that. Um, or it, I guess like like second to like the Bible. It's like one of that the makes most... sense. Yeah. Um, also, the like most stolen book from all Barnes and Noble. <laughs> um, yeah. Right. You're right. Uh, it's just like people think it like well, for one thing that cover is insane. Um, yeah, which, you who know, did the recognize art? Recognize it? It's a really it's a super like a grungy kind of image, you know? Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I don't have it. I don't have it on hand. I don't really keep a copy of that because they're not hard to find, and it's like kind of bad vibes. But, it is certainly yeah. bad vibes. I mean, this. Yeah. I feel like we. I don't know about you, but I've been doing a lot of sort of doom scrolling lately, and. Yeah, it's just kind of like bad for the the mind, the psyche, you know. Yeah, I haven't been doing much of that. I've been on my own research front, but 
I, I did read, uh, so I guess we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Pale Horse Rider, which is sort of, it's not a biography per se, but it's a book about William Cooper. Um, yeah, Pale Horse Rider, yeah. um, William Cooper, The Rise of Conspiracy and the Fall of Trust in America by Mark Jacobson. I think this book came out like a couple of years ago. It did, yeah. I got it when I came out and read it. Um, and as is my habit immediately kind of lost touch with the stuff he says but i think it kind of just blended in with what i already knew about cooper so it's all kind of like one big mass of like this weirdo cooper uh like narrative but i remember this book being super uh well this guy's kind of like one of the last of like the new journalists sort of right yeah he's like yeah i mean he like um, goes places and like he's like it's like very personal right Yes, it's a it's a great story. It's told excellently. I'm not I haven't finished it yet. I'm about halfway through, so we'll probably talk yeah. more about the second half of this tale on our Patreon sometime next week. Um, yeah, but it, it's a it's a really interesting story because Cooper himself uh, led an insane life. Um, he he was actually in naval intelligence, which gives you know yeah. an element of credence to his story he was kind of like a or does it not <laughs> on the other hand does it kind of eh, i he's too like i think he's too in to be like an an operative per se cuz i yeah i don't know he's but, from his yeah. from this you know half biography he's so like whacked out and in, in his own life that i i can't sure. really see him being anything more than a a useful tool you know Right. And, and I mean, he did die in a blaze of gunfire. So I guess, right. yeah, you know, but I guess that's how a lot of operatives go out. So I, I can't, yeah, I can't say for sure. He might just be on his, I mean, he was kind of almost like a proto Alex Jones. Uh, yeah. He totally inspired the whole Jones thing. Um, but, you know, interestingly enough, like a lot of hip artists in the nineties, like the Wu-Tang Clan and shit were, really into William Cooper. Um, right. <clears throat> I guess Tupac had like spoke about this book because Cooper, you know, kind of talked about uh, radical conspiracy ideas that I feel like people in the nineties were, were ready to hear like the idea that, you know, the AIDS virus was a conspiracy. Um, and you know, the kind of things that were true too, like, uh, you know, banking right. conspiracies and a lot of the nefarious things that go on in the United States government. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure how the reason I like doing the, the pale horse rider book is that, you know, I don't necessarily have to be a mouthpiece for the straight up black pill Illuminati thing, you know, like, right now. And that's almost too corny to even be a, a true black pill, but yeah, yeah, I don't like, know. No, I knew there's a lot of yeah. legitimate stuff in here about like uh social engineering and um Sure. Yeah. You know, the the Fed. <laughs> there's just a lot of stuff and it's out there if you want to uh research that kind of stuff um and formulate your own right. opinion if that matters. Um I think kind of his own personal story and and how his narrative sort of came to shape the landscape of conspiracy in America as Ben is like rolling around on some kind of rubber ball. What are you, are you in space right now? 
I'm just getting Dude, you look like uh, you're moving around the International Space Station right now. Can you sit somewhere? A toilet. Oh the internet God. up here is really terrible. I'm trying to find like the best place to Jesus to do it. Right. For some reason, as soon as it gets cold out, my internet starts like cutting out. Um, or whenever I talk about Bill Cooper. I mean, but, the yeah. the legitimate elements of his claim. Maybe we should start there. Are that he did sort of predict. 911 <laughs> he didn't sort of predict that yeah, it would be yeah. blamed on Osama bin Laden like a few yeah, months before crazy. and yeah. you know he died a few months after um and I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that th- those things are related necessarily um I don't think this writer is either I think he's kind of he doesn't want to believe that it's that simple you know because I think around that time you know everybody who was writing about Bill Cooper's death were in another breath saying, you know, it was related to what he knew, but I think yeah. he was also kind of an, a bit unhinged and, and hitting the uh, hooch a bit hard and, and kind of oh, a little yeah. uh, loose with his weaponry, you know, he was, yeah, he was a ter- terribly drunk all the time and like very paranoid and almost kind of like invited, like some kind of confrontation. I feel like, like, yeah. Try- had to like stoke it a little bit if i remember it correctly but yeah i mean and his relationship with ufology because he's like a big ufo head for a while kind of became like uh all ufos are nazi tech type person yeah no it's really interesting his like history with it uh his father was a pilot um and his father would like talk to his old buddies about the foo fighters and stuff um and I guess they would show, okay. they would like get together and show like footage of UFOs yeah, yeah. and stuff. And then oh, yeah, yeah. he was also really into the old um, magazines, which is how this kind of ties into the Shaver mystery thing. Oh, yeah, that's going to be the, yeah, we're going to talk a bit about Palmer and Shaver. I guess I feel like in my mind, they, these things relate because they're sort of like these underground. I mean, Cooper's obviously much more famous than. Palmer or Shaver, but I feel like they're similarly influential in sort of a subtle way. It's so fascinating how all of these things together, like all of these different eccentric stories, um, something as strange as Shaver's story where he was hearing the vibrations off of the machinery in the fabrication shop he was working in. What was it like a tire fabrication? Like... (sighs) thing or something something not tires but i think it was it was something like that yeah some um, kind of machine like you know uh machine fab yeah shop he was working he- yeah he was working in a, in a yeah in a factory and the um man i knew this stuff like the back of my hand last last year this time because you know full disclosure uh it's getting to be the season of shaver again you so. love saying i mean I got Every a call winter. back here. You said last year when we were doing an episode, you were like the shaver mystery. It's so cozy. And it's, <laughs> it it's like, it's a horrible story about a guy <laughs> like having these insane, like apocalyptic delusions of like a mechanized demonic, like aspect yeah. of, uh, of, of society, like tormenting yeah. the, uh, above ground dwellers. But right. I mean, it's the, yeah, the influencing machine too, like that, the, the kind of like classic schizophrenic 
uh, hallucination of someone using a machine to like make you think or feel things. But well, that's really fascinating though because yeah. that's something directly um, that I was just looking up within Cooper's work is this whole doctrine um, that was kind of released as a manifesto, but people believed it was actually like a training protocol. Um, uh, silent weapons for quiet wars. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, classic. I mean, even if it is a manifesto, like the, the credence of it, there's certainly something to it where it's, it's the idea that, you know, um, ma our mass media is used as a sort of like, programming tool to socially engineer us to be right um complacent within our society uh to be disorganized all this stuff which is obviously true i mean i don't think there's really much yeah. disputing that and i think <laughs> people people kind of like people like to think that they're above being able to be subjected by that but i think if you look into things like nlp and uh mm. You know the kind of like brainwave functionality, like while watching television and stuff. You know, like right. Um, it seems that there's been like a sort of social engineering doctrine for a long time, and I mean, obviously, like that would benefit an an, um, an overpowered government <laughs> if if there wasn't. You know. Yeah, yeah, and NLP, NFTs, all that stuff. It's yeah, it's just messing with everybody's head. Dude, <laughs> there is some wacky. <laughs> wacky money stuff going on right now like today i know every like a bunch of famous people like jimmy fallon and a bunch of athletes <laughs> and some other people they all had the some nft ape yeah as their um avatar like clearly some uh -huh. like uh sponsorship thing where they this company right. like slipped them some nfts and they're like if you make this your avatar you know we'll give you this however much million dollar nft it's um, insane it's, but, and they're so fucking hideous too. And like there's like, yeah, it's just like furry shit. Like and everyone's trying to be like, well, it's about art and like true ownership of digital art. And it's like, why is it all so fucking shitty? Why isn't there any good art? Uh, maybe there is. Maybe there is, but the stuff that is being <laughs> propagated on like a massive scale is aesthetically right. like horrendous um it's like apes and lions and like or even just like the crypto yeah. punks thing it's so i it, right it, it, it's not even worth like getting into right. i think sure, it's sure. just like creating a sort of like i don't know some sort of host or something i feel like it ties in because like uh, the the nft thing feels like a symptom of this really dark like trajectory we're on now and obviously not everyone feels the same way about the entire crypto thing that's happening but like it just feels like this move towards the whole and you know, the blockchain thing and like this kind of terrible <laughs> prison that like it's kind of what it's like what cooper talks right, about cooper it and all, all these dead people like it's what tracy twyman was talking about it's like you know anyone that's dead now it's like they were kind of talking like even if they didn't mention like this particular technology i feel yeah. like but cooper least, like yeah. spoke explicitly about this kind of about what like this kind of like undeniable currency system that would oh. overtake the dollar oh, yeah. the sovereignty of like the federal For reserve sure. and stuff like that um he I'm also kind of predicted how the, how the fed ties in with 
uh, with crypto, if it does in the end. Um, I don't know. Like I've been listening to a lot of stuff. One of which is, um, I think this guy's name is David Troy, maybe or something. But he was a guest on the farm. Uh, he's a big like. He talks a lot about the parapolitical implications of crypto, but especially Bitcoin. Yeah, and a lot of like the power, um, power families and power uh, persons behind um, the pushes in Bitcoin, and really kind of like an economic mm -hmm. war against the dollar. Um, right. There's some really interesting stuff going on. It's it it's. Well, whatever you think about crypto uh there's there's a lot of like huge waves being made right now that are have like huge implications to the way we think about money the way we think about creating a, a, a livelihood for ourselves um yeah just about I everything mean, it, is on the table right now so it, it feels i that's really hope it i hope it fails <laughs> but it seems like it's being adopted i mean adopted so quickly and it also is being adopted by like the exact people that it was supposed to liberate people from so it's like it, it kind of seems like it's just going like every anything else that's going to be ingested into the into the system that it was supposed to improve or it was just created by that system to begin with and it's just kind of like a you know like a valve to let out some stress yeah i mean uh, i don't know it's arguably part of a trajectory towards um dissolving nation states or something but which is also Maybe. something bill cooper talked about but like yeah uh, man bill cooper prophet <laughs> but i don't know the the people which uh you know this guy david troy are talking about is like the Koch brothers and the blackwater yeah. people and stuff like that um, it gets so specific that these people are behind just Bitcoin really and have like laid heavy into Bitcoin uh, yeah. because Bitcoin is like a, it's like silver essentially. It's a finite right. resource, albeit it's a digital uh, resource that has equity. You know, it's finite so that it can shift markets and stuff just in its own like uh, right, sure. quantity. I don't know. I'm not like using financial terms because... I mean, it's finite, you mean, because of the amount of power it takes to generate it? The amount of actual, like, Bitcoins there are. But, I mean, there aren't actually any, right? Like, it's it's a metaphysical kind of concept, right? Yeah, I mean, I can't, we could, uh, we could talk about that <laughs> off air, because it seems like you're just, like, not understanding what you think there's, like, actually a, a vault of, like, Bitcoins. No, no, no. <laughs> no I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of just... Uh, have an alarm, alarm, alarm. No, I, I mean, like, in the same way, there's like, however, you know, like dollars are, it's a, it's an agreed upon unit of measure is what I mean. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, there's just a really, there's such a line between like paranoid thinking and uh, recognizing that there are actual conspiracies going on, you know, and that's kind of, is there, is there a line? I don't, I feel you think like it's one is the key to the other. No, no. I think you need to have a certain paranoid awareness to, you just can't let it ruin your life. Yeah. <laughs> but I, think no, it's, it's I mean, the, well, that's the line, I guess. Right. And yeah. Like, yeah. Sure. The, the truth of it is that like, 
you'll never actually like uncover the truth. And even if you do, it's probably just going to ruin your own life or something, which yeah. Bill Cooper saw like the butt end of, but I think he was already probably pretty ruined. It seemed. Yeah. I think he was ruined by Vietnam, um, which is mm. what they talk about a lot in um, pale horse riders that he right. seemed pretty tainted after coming back to that. And the classic story <laughs> that is now described in a lot of like, 60s revisited you know narratives of a of a soldier coming back from vietnam to a society that didn't really appreciate right. their service nor did they even like them you know like yeah yeah i mean on the other hand like there are so many like soldiers who actively tried to dismantle the war while over there so it's like it's, it's, it's interesting because like there's a lot of nuance there like you don't have to i don't know like you know there were like you know vietnam vets against the war as well like stuff like that there so was, it's interesting you know in his lifetime like there was a crazy statistic that more or more vietnam vets had taken their lives in america than had been killed in vietnam well i mean i i yeah I didn't write that down, so I hope I'm disclaimer. I hope I'm like reciting that properly because I know it sounds kind of insane after I just said it. it does but sound I think insane. It, they were, that, I think that was something that was said, and then also like 15 percent of the soldiers had become addicted to heroin in Vietnam. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know that, that was a big thing there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, I have like. You know, I mean, Cooper is a sort of a darling of the right in a lot of ways. So his absolutely, he's totally yeah. like a libertarian narrative. Um, he lived, yeah, you know, in a very remote part of Arizona <laughs> where he was kind of like the only one for you know a while. Uh, he was he was pretty isolated out there, um, right? And and I think his so his sort of position on the war is is you know in some ways it's kind of predictable, but in other ways, um, you know, kind of interesting as well. But yeah, I, I guess, yeah, Jacobson, uh, the writer of this book is, he does go on a bit about the, uh, yeah, the effect that, and, and, you know, I imagine that must have a horrible effect on it, like going into that kind of war. And then like the way it's depicted at home was sort of like, I always think it's interesting how, how the Vietnam War is depicted in American media, like as this like admitted failure, but like still kind of like heroic, like, yeah, like, like it's like really dark, like Apocalypse Now or whatever, or like any of the many Vietnam movies where it's like a, with a wink <clears throat> and a nod, but like, you know, still kind of like, well, he explicitly like, t yeah. uh, talks about that in his own, in Behold, in Behold a Pale Horse, uh, Bill Cooper <clears throat> talks about how one of his he was married like 10 times i think which is something crazy like that <laughs> hell yeah um so no. <laughs> i think it's like third third or fourth wife he was with and um they had just had a kid you know and he was like i need to come sh i need you to see something and he like took her to the theater to see apocalypse now oh yeah and it was yeah. just like these are these are the atrocities i committed although i don't yeah i guess there was some some of that but it seems like 
Apocalypse Now is kind of about something else, but <clears throat> right, right, yeah, sure. I mean, that's just like uh, Heart of Darkness in Vietnam. But, yeah, you're right. Um, um, yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy book, and especially the uh, it's like publishing history. So this new age uh, publisher who like did, I mean did other books and. Jacobson interviews them in the book and it's like it's just so, like it's so interesting because it's like it's called like what is it like light technology publications or something yep. like that yeah yeah <laughs> and it's just like that's not what that book is like, she made like a she she collected like all of the money still yeah and uh that book has but, sold like more than any conspiracy any other conspiracy book probably must be loaded like yeah. I can't well anyway um, there's something about it. I mean, I don't, I don't trust it as a genuine resource. I think it's more like an interesting cultural phenomenon and because it's so ubiquitous and like, well, the whole reproducing the protocols of the elders of Zion is also its own thing, but in what, um, and doesn't he do that in there? No. Um, Cooper like said that, uh, he 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 said like everybody else that it was like just a, a made up like relic. I think he said it was like he said that was going on, but it wasn't uh, like a a religious cabal. Um, that it was just like a kind of a metaphor for some Illuminati type of thing. Um, oh, I, I see now. Um, the the first edition did have the protocols in it. Um, and also had this like fold out thing that is like, that was removed from later editions, mm. but that's okay. So that's why I thought it was in there, but it, yeah, in the paperback edition, you can still get today. It no longer, uh, yeah. Uh, includes in full the protocols of the elders of Zion, which was, but I do. Yeah. He does talk about it in a way that's like, not like, it's almost like if this is like, you know, if there were a secret cabal of people, this is how they would communicate. Yeah, like, for sure. I mean, the guy like, uh, but it's so it's so dumb. The it guy is like, is like heavily yeah. problematic, um, and clearly oh, sure. like his <laughs> the, a lot of this spawns from his own pathology, his own horror story of of you know, just like you know, horrible disappointment of of being in Vietnam and stuff and coming home and. He, he was like riding his motorcycle a lot and and the kind of the story about Cooper is that he was a he was born a military brat or whatever um, I guess his father was in the Air Force and um, he served in the Air Force I don't know if he served in the army but his goal was to serve in like every branch of the United States military mm-hmm. um, he was in the Navy after serving in the Air Force and he um, rose to like a very high position. He was in naval intelligence. Um, I guess he was on track to be like one of the top positions within like the entire Navy. And um, in his commander's office, he stumbled into like this uh, file with all this this crazy um, mm. top secret stuff in it. He did have a top secret clearance. I don't think that's like saying particularly that much. Um, that's not yeah. that rare of a thing. Uh, but he, so his story is that he, he found this like dossier or whatever with all this, uh, you know, 
crazy um, stuff in it. And he, when he got out, he was going to leak it to a reporter. And then he said that while he was riding his motorcycle, he was ran off the road by like a black limo. And then these people like showed up at his house and they ran him off the road a second time. And he actually lost his leg and he had like a fake wow. leg his whole life. So there's huh. like just strange yeah. aspects of his story that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like a riddle. It's, it's it, so weird. Yeah. I mean, I think it's equal parts that, you know, he was certainly a part of something and it wasn't just kind of mania. Um, yeah. And it's that also kind of fuels. We've, we've talked so much about the pressure cooker of these situations when you get close, you know, and you yeah, start yeah. to get kind of the business, like the mirror men treatment, you know. <laughs> I think, like, yeah, his, um, his contribution is like so double, like a double edged sword or something, because in some ways he really did. I mean, at least apparently challenged these like power structures, um, obviously from a more or less like libertarian angle. So, I mean, you know, I'm not huge on that, but I, he was still, you know, he was still challenging it. Um, and I don't think he was like, a, you know, like I feel like people are, you know, if you just Google William Cooper right now, a lot of stuff that comes up is like, here's what you should know about, you know, Bill Cooper, the like, you know, earliest progenitor of, you know, the QAnon conspiracy. Like people right, want to kind right. of trace, trace the lineage of like Q and like obviously Alex Jones and like all that stuff. But I think that he was like, well, <clears throat> definitely, definitely involved in kind of like the militia culture to some extent, even if just like I said, I'm not, you know, and, well, he had the guns and stuff, but yeah, he also, he, like I still feel like there was a back then there was an aspect of the conspiracy culture that was like genuinely perhaps threatening to like the powers that be mm-hmm. whereas today it feels more like uh the storm in a teacup kind of situation yeah uh now I think it's like it's a tool of uh engineering a base or something you know like the way that people use narrative on the internet it's that old adage of uh you know what information will be more valuable than money one day you know like right the way that the way that information is used to you know sway uh groups of people um that are important you know in important locations or you know whatever uh or yeah, create important positions to, yeah. to certain things or, or whatever. I mean, that's kind uh, of the, the way hand, I think yeah. that like massive conspiracy, something like Q was, was used, right. you know, but, but I do think that the internet itself, I mean, I feel like I'm always putting my position of like a critic of the internet, but like, I think the, the, the medium itself uh, necessitates like a little bit less, not a risk, but like, uh implication like you know what like obviously you can still get in a lot of trouble for like hacking into information or like whatever but i feel like it puts up like one more layer of like abstraction between these things and like and the actual like machine of like society if that makes sense like cooper was you know allegedly digging these like documents out of things like with his physical body there. Whereas now it's more like, 
Alex Jones hires somebody to Google some shit or like send an email. Oh, there's like a whole team, you know. Uh, it just it feels a little more like there's a whole studio involved with that, you know. With, with Alex Jones, yeah, but I, I mean, it more it's like general, the way like, Hans Zimmer makes the score for a film. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's it's entertainment, and I guess I feel like maybe Bill Cooper was like the first conspiratainment person, or like the last person before conspiracy. Like he was right on the cusp of that. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I don't think it was his intention. But no, but he kind of de- did it. His, his delivery. delivery <laughs> uh, it was also his, it was his, like, you know, it was his heart and soul was like that radio show, that program, The right. Hour of Our Time. Uh, yeah. When he got on that show and orated, it was kind of like uh, um, an, an atheist gospel, you know, and he spoke sure, about yeah. that. Like his thing was like, uh, I don't care if you're religious or not. This this really is a story of good versus evil. You know, like right. yeah, yeah. that kind of like thing. It's 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 like he was preaching. You know, and that's the cadence of the show. Um, and that's also that's kind of what I think was taken from him most is kind of like that the drama of it because I feel like that's what made him so successful was the yeah the drama yeah. the vigilante Which, like, someone, sort of like aspect yeah, yeah. of conspiracy stuff too. You know. But someone like Mae Brussel, who like did like these extremely legit, super intense dives into like all of these, all this minutia of like the Kennedy assassination and everything that was happening back then in like the sort of conspiracy uh, culture, like she was not delivering it in this like, in this sort of bombastic tone. She was kind of like this, you know, uh, very straightforward, well-spoken woman who was like saying these really crazy, like challenging things about our society. Whereas Cooper, I think might've taken that same sort of like radio personality type thing and like turned it into like, I'd like fused it with like, obviously he wasn't on AM radio, but fused it with kind of like that sort of aesthetic. Yeah. He was, he was broadcasting on shortwave. It's so sick. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, uh, Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny in a way, too, because, you know, so much of what he said was criticizing mass media uh, coming. He wrote Behold a Bell Horse. He was working on that for so long. um, And it came out, I think, in like 90 or 92 or something like that. I think the first edition was I just had it up. Um, First edition, 91. Yeah. So, I mean, you could imagine like. The media, the media that he's uh, talking about in that book is is television. Right. You know, the first the for, the true first edition signed goes for a th- ten thousand dollars. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, sorry, book book selling brain comes on right away, but yeah. Um, motorcycles going by. Uh. I don't know. Like, so that was 91. He didn't even have means... like, an, I mean, he kind of, he probably knew about DARPAnet and stuff like that, but he didn't have any idea no what internet, the, the right. landscape of the internet would look like, you know, he, but his book kind of interestingly predicts it almost. It's almost like a hypertext, right? Right. <laughs> or, no, like, or like, or it's almost right. like a, like a Dropbox folder or something. There's certainly like an Oracle like element to his writings. Uh, yeah. Almost in like a, weird kind of analog to Philip K. Dick stuff where Philip K. Dick was so 
uh, he was writing fiction, obviously, you know, and like kind of just like, yeah. but I think in the same way that Bill Cooper, like did kind of have like an Oracle aspect of like imagining of what the future might be like, you know, and, and the way that yeah. power might try and shape the future. I mean, it's funny. I'm, I'm reading uh, Valets again now and kind of looking back at the Cooper thing. I mean, you're reading the book now and I'm kind of just more like looking back through it and remembering uh, Pale Horse Rider. But I mean, uh, Philip K. Dick, is, is he like his politics were like, they started pretty much like Berkeley kind of communist sort of like, or even not exactly that, but that was sort of the milieu he was working in. And he ended up somewhere very else, like, you know, in a more like apolitical kind of paranoid realm. But yeah, the similarities between him, him and Cooper are like, especially with their like run-ins or paranoia about the government, I think are really interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, the break-ins and stuff. And, I don't get a sense that there was all that much mystical about Bill Cooper. Um, he felt more like a pretty, obviously, you know, kind of batshit insane, but more grounded than Philip K. Dick uh, yeah. in like, in like tangible conspiracies, whereas Dick was, well, he was a, he was yeah. like big into the alien story and he, he was a, at one least of the first, he was one of the progenitors of the idea that there was a secret meeting with Eisenhower right. and, um, some gray aliens uh for sure and it's kind of there's some interesting interesting sinks in this book too one of which is that um on the day that eisenhower apparently took this meeting with yeah. these extraterrestrials uh his alibi was that he was going to a dentist appointment his dentist was <laughs> timothy leary's father Oh yeah. Um, that's just so strange. And the other thing that's really strange too that I had never realized is that the owner of the ranch where the Roswell crash reportedly happened mm. was uh like the grandson of the lawman who shot Pat Garrett. Yeah. Uh, Pat Garrett being the best the good friend of Billy the Kid who turned right. his back on him and killed him uh yeah to to basically getting good with the Santa Fe ring. I mean, but there's like just all these like strange kind of conspiratorial connections that are just there. And yeah, it almost makes you think threads, that man, it almost makes you think that there's only ever been like a few thousand people that existed doing all the, and everyone else are NPCs. Yeah. So uh, it's some real like simulation theory <laughs> shit when kidding. you like, but it is, yeah. When you look at, when you look at the story enough, it just kind of starts like forming around thoughts you like have had before or something. It's right. That well, kind of, we've know, been, people... yeah, I don't know. We've been <laughs> well, talking yeah. about the simulation theory again and stuff on, on Patreon. Um, yeah. We also, I still think it's dumb, but <laughs> we just, yeah. yeah, I want not, not dumb, but I don't buy it. Yeah, Ben's um, a bookseller, so he can't subscribe to the simulation theory. Otherwise, people it's won't buy business. his books. Yeah, yeah, it's bad it's business. Like, yeah, it's not good business to to put too much stock in computers. Um, um we've been no, yeah, but, no, we've been talking about some <laughs> some weird sinks there, and and with uh, American Cosmic and and um, right, we didn't talk about that in the main episode yet, huh? Yeah, well, we're that's why the, uh, we're pointing people right. to the Patreon right now. 
Yeah, no, you should definitely join that because there was some real weird stuff. We kind of messed around with the uh, Book of the Law based NAEQ, I believe, uh, Gematria uh, calculator, which is sort of like based on the, the cipher that uh, was sort of pulled from Crowley's Book of the Law and inputting just some like kind of, you know, random key phrases from stuff we've been looking into has been bringing some strange results. Uh, you should check that out on Patreon, but one, well, I'll give you one, which is that uh, the very title of our show equals the same number as a line in the Book of the Law, which was uh, I was the minister. Right, and if, you, if you're if you a Patreon subscriber, you can go back and listen to our Ouija sessions in which there's some really interesting relevance there. Uh, yeah, and yeah. something else that's been happening, I feel like since we checked in on the main uh, channel was the kind of like big conflagration of like, I don't want to get like in trouble for calling it satanic panic because I know that there's actual pedophile Satanists, but like... <laughs> you know, like the, this like super paranoid anti-occult like sort of uh, vibe and like the conspiracy verse on, on Twitter. Um, yeah. And that's always, it's always interesting to me because that's usually a kind of place I go to for like a really like sort of in-depth and nuanced look at things. Uh, but when it comes to stuff like this it's, it turns very black and white and good versus evil in a way that's like really kind of funny like i you know i have no no love for satanism i think it's corny and probably evil but like <laughs> um uh, i think you know what i mean no i think there's a really corny like evaluation in the satanic panic stuff and it is going around more um at the same especially time especially since astro world right yeah, I think it's interesting though that there is a sort of um, reoccurring set of symbols you see with things that can easily be deemed as nefarious and like socially engineering, oh, yeah. you know, like a sort of mystery Babylon. Uh, yeah, I think that it's good to like occult. throw out. Yeah, throw out like I just feel like it's this like reversion to like the sort of infantile christian approach to things of like or like at least it like it acts like christianity but isn't like this sort of like i don't like you're gonna like they're gonna start being like you can't listen to like ozzy osbourne or something <laughs> like it's like i mean i think I, it's like like if you read about the occult a lot there's certainly an immediate admission that there exists both white and black magic you know Sure, but that's like, uh, you know, it's not what anyone's talking about. They're more like, occult means bad, esoteric is bad. <laughs> like, that, that means evil, Satan, and, and like, like, harming innocent lives. It's just like, because there's like so much, like, uh, there's like no clear, distinct line between religion and like esotericism. No. And to like, pretend, to pretend that there is, is goofy and also to pretend that like well, it is it is really yeah. goofy yeah so much of the mythology of our judeo-christian religions is comes from the occult you know comes from right. um well it is like the occult kind of i mean except yeah. for like the very the most 
the most popular it's an amalgamation of, of, of yeah mystery religions uh yeah as well as things like the dionysian cults like the smaller cults and stuff of the greco-roman right. you know era i just feel like there's like i don't know anyway i don't want to be t- like talking shit about unnamed people it's not because i understand it because like you know yeah there's dark there are, there are sinister forces about mm-hmm. um but turning into like a prude is kind of I I think it also kind of oversimplifies the conversation in in sort of like, yeah, it's a real like get your pitchforks out kind of thing and it doesn't quite make sense, but I don't know. I I have this book in front of me here. Actually, interesting. You said that is spells, ceremonies and magic um, by Mayun Gonzalez Whipler. Um, Yeah. The complete book of rather. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I just got this in actually early this morning. Got delivered, um, and this book is this is an incredible, like wealth of information here. Just even for like, if you are trying to kind of decode symbols and stuff that you see out there, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting book to contextualize them with. Um, yeah, um, I've got that around somewhere. I love that kind of book because they're always a little bit different. Like even if you like, there's like probably hundreds of like complete guides to witchcraft, complete guides to symbolism, but mm-hmm. it's always interesting to see what's left out or like what is focused on. And I, I think, is that when I sort of like sigilly kind of looking stuff in it? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, but this is like, actually just reading a bit of this this morning, like it's really well written. It's oh yeah, clearly well researched. And is that right? Or a woman? Is it, a, is it she? Yeah. My Ian Gonzalez. Yeah. That's right. That's what I thought. So that, because that's, then that's the same person who wrote that, like, one of the classic uh, books about Santeria. That, mm-hmm. yes. um, right? Is that, yeah. Yep. So that's like, yeah, <laughs> that stuff's crazy. That stuff's awesome. Because that's like another example of like the inseparability of occult and magical traditions from, like, in that case, Christianity. Right. Um, anyway, that's kind of, we're getting far afield from Bill Cooper and stuff. Maybe we can I mean, that's turn just, the page. I really enjoy that kind of stuff. The, oh, the yeah. decoding of, you know, religious symbols and kind of tracing them, uh, their, yeah. their own occult roots. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, most of this stuff goes back to Sumeria and Egypt, Babylon, um, Babylon. Yeah. But, oh, Babylon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. somebody like uh, Richard Shaver, who I guess we'll talk a little bit about, um, I just think it's fascinating that this guy's kind of tale of psychosis likely uh, <laughs> becomes such a large part of the American conspiracy mythology of this underground civilization, right. the idea of underground bases, um, the idea of subterranean kind of meddling forces, um even to Hellier, you know, like Shaver, the Shaver mystery oh, yeah. kind of continues through all the way up to something like Hellier. Um, For sure. And in the a, Dulce, in a, yeah, in the a underground bases form. at Dulce. Um, yeah, yeah. The the idea that, you know, there's there's networks of, of cave systems where these uh, reptilian humanoids uh, dwell and all this stuff. Um, it You can kind right. of trace the roots of that back to something like Richard Shaver, which 
is kind of like yeah it's yeah it's a muddy line between fact and fiction even to to him maybe yeah not to well, ray palmer i think um shaver is so interesting because i feel like no matter like what he's most known for i feel like he really in the end was like an artist so so much of his what ended up being called like the shaver mythology uh is to be found in these rock art images which are where he would take these very thinly sliced pieces of agate and sort of outline uh what he you know deemed the ancient history of like pre-deluge earth and the sort of the more sensational stuff that came uh through ray palmer and uh, in his many uh, magazines were these like this you know the origin story of, of Shaver's interaction with these beings was he was working in like this as we were mentioning this fabrication plant of some sort and through like a torch he was like he somehow accidentally tapped into these like information sources that were being beamed from the middle of the earth by uh, these things called Daros, which were these uh, sort of devolved ancient people. Um, and they were like, you know, they kind of torture you and like would like send these sort of, you know, thoughts. Like it was just, you know, it's in some ways a classic sort of psychotic uh, delusion. But on the other hand, I feel like there's a lot of gray area with Shaver because he was certainly institutionalized. And I have this great book here, Shaverology, um, which was, it's sort of a compendium. It's called a, a Shaver Mystery Home Companion uh, put together by this guy, Richard Toronto, who also wrote this incredible book that I recommend to all called War Over Lemuria. Uh, Richard Shaver, Ray Palmer, and the Strangest Chapter of 1940s Science Fiction. You need to know about that whole sort of situation is kind of cataloged in there. But Shaverology, some of uh, Shaver's writings from when he was uh, institutionalized and subjected to like shock treatment and all kinds of like, you know, pretty terrible, you know, the kind of stuff that they do to you in asylums in the middle of the 20th century. Mm. But so these poems came out of it and like, I hadn't really known this until recently that Shaver was writing poems, which is of course of interest to me, but, um, and they do read a lot like a, an institutionalized person's poems, but he came out of the asylum and more or less continued his life as he was living it before and lived a sort of like humble life, creating these things he called rock fogo, which are these, like I said, sort of, he would project thinly sliced agate and you know how agate will sometimes have that almost like pictorial images in it like these really weird little formations and um he would create he created this whole mythology out of like reading these rocks i just think i just think that's beautiful so it's getting to be uh getting to be close to winter and that's you know like i said that's when i get down to thinking about the inner earth and shaver again and put your ear to that electric toothbrush and start hearing those darrows yeah. you know ripping apart those people in the caves 
Yeah, it's just it's uh, with a nice hot cup of tea, you know. <laughs> um, no, I I love Shaver, obviously, and it's just like there's so much. And this guy, I I'd love to get this guy in the show, Richard Toronto, um, because he's just done like such a beautiful job of like not letting Shaver fall into like just like being this pulp oddity. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Because like, like his his work is republished, like the whole Shaver mythos is available in like print on demand collections, and so you could have pretty much every word that was ever published by Shaver. But the actual like life and like art and work of him outside of the like Ray Palmer stuff is super important. And like, I am yeah. So I, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's my little spiel on on old Dick Shaver. What about what's up with Ray Palmer? He uh yeah, he incredible was, guy too. He, so he kind of ran the um, the Amazing Stories publication for I a while. Took it over. Yeah. He did like tons of magazines like and like no one should have done this many magazines, but it, so he he started Fate, which is like the iconic uh paranormal like digest. Mm-hmm. He did uh Search, which I recently got a whole bunch of copies of Search, which is like that was when this is, I mean, kind of as an aside, uh, Palmer got really into this like alternative Bible from the late 19th century called Owaspe. Right. I'm not sure how many yeah. people have heard of that, but it's like kind of a precursor to like the Urantia book, like kind of like one of these alternative religions. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely bonkers, insane. If you can find a copy of it, I highly recommend reading it. It's kind of beautiful and it's madness uh so he got really into pushing this while he was doing search magazine so any copy of search you find you'll have like a like a like a little advertisement for this like wacko new age bible like like the true revelations are here and it's like because he did like a few different editions of it he, i mean he had so many publishing projects i'm i'm not entirely sure what hit. he had something called amherst press because he was from amherst wisconsin and or at least he was located there for a while. Uh, a book I have right here is uh, The Secret World by Ray Palmer. And that's from 75. And the first half of it is like this really like intimate autobiography of Palmer talking about like, cause he's like, I'm not really sure what his actual sort of situation is medically, but he was like, I'm not sure if he's like what you would call like a, like a little person or if he was like, had some other sort of like, uh, like growth kind of thing or like what it was exactly but he was like put on these like i forget exactly what it was called but some sort of like rack basically that they made him stay on like for his childhood like trying to make him grow mm. like more or less like a tor- like a torture device that was like pulling on him at all time <laughs> like this psychotic thing to subject a kid to so yeah this like this the secret world is like half like the minutia of ray palmer's life and him getting into publishing. So, you know, like fate, amazing stories, uh, search and like a few others. And like, he like read republished a version of like Ed Adorpa, you know, like mm-hmm. the John right. Ray Lloyd. Uh, yeah. It's a really interesting so book like, too, with the whole underground yeah. mythos in Ed Adorpa, Right. Yeah. Like, so he was really into that inner earth stuff, obviously. And, um, but then the second half of this, The Secret World, is Richard Shaver explaining his process of um, 
creating these this rock art these like so it's like this kind of in-depth like artistic treatise on like it's just like so that's just like it's this weird book where it's bound together and like oh i can show you here not everyone will be able to see it obviously just dave but <laughs> like the back cover is an image of this rock art and it's like you know it kind of reminds me of like william blake in some ways like mm-hmm. This sort of like visionary weirdness. It has the quality of like a schizophrenic outsider art as well, though, where there's kind of like faces coming, morphing out of faces, you know, like I think. Right. Like if you look at outsider art by, you know, the mentally ill, it tends to have like the kind of like morphing that, quality of repeating uh, faces. A hundred percent. Yeah. And like, well, and he kind of like imposed that on himself by like, the art basically being about finding faces where there aren't mm-hmm. any or like trying to decode what he thinks of as like these rocks that were like imbued with the records of lost civilization. It's, it's interesting. And I'm like 50, 50 on the, on the schizophrenia front for him. Like I imagine, you know, in my opinion on mental illness like that is that it's always like a sort of spectrum of, like of symptoms that may or may not add up to like a full-blown anything yeah he certainly had schizophrenic traits uh no i'm not like i think it's like uh there there's a really interesting story there and if somebody like um what's his what's the hermetic hours name um uh forgetting wait the poke Poke, if, yeah, if somebody like Poke Runyon, who is kind of wacky, but I, I, he's like a scholar of the occult, and yeah, he yeah. kind of gives a bit of credence to Shaver's. Uh, oh yeah, Shaver's tales. Well, he made that whole movie, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. which is no. yeah, kind of about that, uh, I guess, in part. Yeah. Which isn't like so. Like I think that Shaver, I would say, is in the tradition of the probably insane, like visionary mystic who receives some kind of initiatory like revelation right. that's, that's like right. honestly how i think yeah. of him and then kind of like mythologized it yeah for sure yeah yeah um there's like one story in this where uh palmer's talking about meeting shaver and he says that they were like at shaver's house with shaver and his wife shaver kind of retired to bed early and then palmer did as well and like from like the wall like between the walls he could hear shaver talking to himself in like five different voices like these like almost like what you would imagine like a sort of like canned version of like a multiple personality disorder person would do and then like at one point at one point palmer's like and there's a question that one of the voices asks and then it and they're like don't like that guy's an idiot like he he doesn't know what I'm talking about like he's like don't bother with him he's an idiot but none of them were shaver talking so like and they had like a falling out and then they became friends again so like their relationship is like extremely sweet and strange um but anyway I just think that's a like kind of exemplary uh like anecdote about about those two as like kind of a as a duo um and as far as like palmer's influence on pop culture i think it's like immeasurable like but it's like kind of 
tricky, like it's sneaky influence. Um, and I think that it can be seen most in like science fiction and stuff and also in the UFO culture. Yeah, it's the kind of the weird way that, you know, H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos sort of became its own occult doctrine through yeah. uh, Kenneth Grant. Um, right. And it's just so it's that's one of my favorite parts about doing this thing is is drudging these old stories um, that are kind of like totems of the America, the new sort of American Western occult uh, conspiracy narrative. And then you kind of look further into them and they're they're so strange and the line between like fiction and, and possible events is so foggy, you know, but these things come to be accepted or at least told as, as a singular truth, um, through, you know, conspiracy programs on that are now on history channel and stuff. So it's <laughs> I know. even something like Roswell, is, you yeah. know, not to like Roswell's just been driven over like a dirt road, you know, but it's like, yeah, even that story is, is so fascinating when you, when you look at it, you know, but it, it gets told over time as a, as a truth of the, of the story, you know? Right. I mean, yeah, it, uh, I don't know if the word is reified, but it kind of, it eats its own, it eats its own children and grows. Right. Like, I can't right. think of like a good metaphor for it, but like the thing generates its own energy sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it definitely like solidifies itself, um, through, you know, larger, grander conspiracy stories. I think that's the thing. Once it becomes like a tendril of a larger conspiracy, then it in itself it becomes like truer or solidifies its own narrative. Right. Something like the Philadelphia experiment is a sim right. similar thing, you know, and we, we kind of looked into that yeah. in our second episode and it's, right. it's just I've a really, about, really strange yeah. story, you know, but. Yeah, I've been thinking about going back to, I feel like it might be fun to get, uh, this is kind of an example of doing that, but like getting back into some of that like real classic high weird stuff, and but maybe from a different angle sometime. Yeah. <laughs> like I miss, uh, I miss talking about the hollow earth. <laughs> no, it's, it's a pretty, it's fun and it's weird that there was a time when, not only was it, you know, a legitimate theory of, uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the right. makeup of our planet, but it was also sort of an occult fascination for theosophists and, right, sure. um, you know, all, all kinds of, uh, you know, mystical lodges, even the whole Shambhala thing. And, you yeah. know, I have in front of me here, which we just released um, our Rorik episode about a week ago, I think. Um, yeah, so yeah. check that out if you haven't. Rorik is, is uh, one of our favorite characters. But, um, you know, it's kind of just like actually pulling up to a random page in uh, in Outside the Circles of Time by Kenneth Grant, who we were talking a lot about a few months ago. And, uh, yeah. you know, he's talking about Rorik in this book. Um and he says, you know, the Russian occultist Rorik, who traveled extensively in Asia during the first half of the present century, wrote the following passage in which, in view of the secret door alluded to in AL, uh, as about 
a compelling suggestiveness. In the foothills of the Himalayas are many caves, and it is said from these caves subterranean passages proceed far below. Some have been some have even seen the stone door which has never been opened because the date has not arrived. That's always in the sort of uh prophetic, you know, writing of, of Rorick. Yeah. The, the, this coming of a new age is gonna open this door to like an underground kingdom in Shambhala sort of like transcendent space. But I thought it was interesting um, that Rorick's son said of the Chintamani stone, which we talked about extensively in that episode, um, that this mineral is from another world uh, and is likely from the constellation of Orion or Sirius. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I feel like uh, a few weeks ago we were having what do you call it? Like a lot of synchronicities. At least for me, they've calmed down a little bit. And I wonder, like, it feels like these like weird cycles. Like, cause I remember asking you, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but like we were uh, talking about something and you're like, Oh, I like, that's so weird. I just heard like someone mentioned that somewhere else or, you know, like that kind of thing. And I wonder, Cause like, why would it be happening so much for like a little while? Like that doesn't really make sense in the context of it being random. Um, and I guess probably neither of us believe that it's random, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, it's, I, I like the John Lilly, uh, cosmic coincidence control center thing. Uh, right. Or echo. Um, I forget the acronym of that, but, um, earth cosmic coincidence office or earth coincidence control office or something but just sort of yeah. that like they're you know coincidences or synchronicities are this way of uh super intelligences guiding humanity uh yeah towards certain realizations or things um i've one thing i've been seeing a lot is a lot of people have been kind of out on the the black cube Saturn thing. I've been oh, noticing right. that a lot more. Um, Never mind. There's been a, I guess I mean like, so, but like last week we had that crazy freaking with a Patreon episode that with the Dan Dutton's uh, homage to Goya. Yeah. That painting. was actually so insane. Cause we were on the Patreon recording talking about Saturn and all this sort of black cube. And the time imagery, cube. Yeah. The time cube and the hexagon. Um, yeah. on Saturn and and sort of this whole conspiracy narrative surrounding Saturn worship and uh as we were recording that Dan Dutton who was the guest on the previous episode posted a picture of Saturn uh and Saturn kind of had the aesthetic of like a cube shaped robot yeah and it was just oh, actually super odd. I talked to him too let me I, you know, I'm sure he wouldn't mind if I just sort of give a sense for what he said. But yeah, I asked him about it and he, uh, let me just pull up this blah, blah, blah. <sighs> yeah, he said, well, first he said that was not the only coincidence with that painting and that the image suddenly emerged. It was not something he was working towards. And when he saw it in his imagination, he was struck. He was struck by the shade of bluish gray that the Saturn Cronus shape is made of. Yeah. Um, it, it took some. It took a lot of like trying to figure out how to capture that with the paint, and that 
it was like this but it felt like very uh important that he like it was sort of almost like an an impulse that he do that painting like sort of because like you know he kind of works in series right but like this kind of like came yeah it's so <laughs> it's, odd it's like yeah. aesthetically not quite in his style either you know i was almost right. i thought kind of at first that he was reposting something somebody else had done um yeah man that was yeah. I, mean, I think it's beautiful but yeah it's very abstract i think yeah or like not i don't know anyway i think we we posted it on our story maybe we'll uh yeah we'll repost it or something but yeah yeah that was a super weird i mean that was that he posted that literally right as we were recording talking about the saturn time cube stuff yeah um so that's wild and yeah I, w- I wonder i just i always wonder if there's some sort of like cyclical or like even seasonal aspect to like the the like blooming and dying of synchronicity but maybe it's just whether or not you're paying attention yeah i, I think i think it's that i think it's also a very personalized thing obviously but right yeah i don't know um what what else do we want to talk about i think that we we covered a lot of no i think that was a a really it was a good conversation because we talked about two figures who were kind of totems of the you know american conspiracy narrative in in william cooper and in um in Richard Shaver. Um, yeah. And I, think, I still feel like we need a, a long form Shaver. Like, I feel like we could spend a 20 hour episode on it. And I'd be like, you know, we should, <laughs> we should, we should really do a Shaver episode even like after that. No, we I'm could, totally like, turn it into a Shaver podcast and just be like, still not enough Shaver. I, I mean, it was, it was uh, like yeah. a kind of a loose conversation, but yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I, enjoyed no, it. I mean, I just, we didn't, we didn't exactly like throw the whole book out on uh on William Cooper either because we didn't even really talk about what he said. I mean, I think there's enough of that out there where you can, you can even listen to archived shows of his and, you know, for many of our listeners, I think it, at this point it might not even be their bag, you know? Um, Right. It's not even necessarily ours, but it's like 50, 50 maybe or something. Yeah. I can't decide like, well, I know that I don't really, that's like not the angle on like the whole conspiracy thing. I really tend to take, but I also, can't deny of his sort of like infectious influence over the whole and like i feel like he's someone that like if you went back to listen to now it would all sound kind of derivative because he was so influential yeah absolutely yeah um totally but like what at the time it was like you know at the time it was like inflammatory kind of i think a lot of people would probably not be able to even ingest it because it seems like a lot of the narrative surrounding the the rhetoric during like the Trump stuff and the, you know, the anti Hillary Clinton stuff kind of even has its roots in William Cooper. It does. It's so interesting how that kind of, you know, the, the weird paths that influence took and like where it ended up today. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess like even just like today or the day before there's like, you know, fucking queuing on people like gathering at Dealey Plaza waiting for JFK Jr. to come back to life. Like, I kind of like stopped checking in on QAnon because I kind of yeah no. don't care. People are just living but, on different timelines now, like different world narratives, and 
Yeah, I mean, it's, like, it's been drudged over, but it's like the post-truth thing, you know, like. Right. And arguably we've been, I believe that we've been living in a, a post-truth era for a long time, you know, before I was born. But like. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, it's the fractured element of, of the way that narrative is, is read and the way that narrative like, you know, takes form on the Internet is, is really interesting now. Yeah. But yeah, I think we could duck out there. Um, I think we'll be back yeah. soon with some interviews. We we've kind of it's kind of been harder to uh, do some scheduling stuff lately because we're both busy and actually some of our guests that we had lined up are really busy as well. But we're right. definitely trying to make that happen. Um, and if you're missing us on these little breaks, uh, these life breaks that we have, check out Patreon.com/slash/ConsensusOnReality <laughs> because we always make sure to do yeah. some episodes over there for our lovely patrons. So thanks for listening, yeah. and uh, we'll be back soon. All right. See ya.